This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Hello. Every week we talk about an episode of SVU, the true crime it's based on, and then we have a guest from the episode. And in the beginning, we catch up. We really haven't been in the same place in months. Yeah, and we are actually recording. We record a lot on Zoom, and today we are recording face-to-face, baby, and it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. You're I fresh mean, off a birthday. You're fresh off a trip. You're looking great. That's the whole thing. I thought I was going to come here and be like, holy shit, vacation, vacation, fun, Chicago, New York, my friends, everything was great. But then I got to L.A., fully burst into tears in my apartment. I fucking hate it. And um, but then I was like, whatever, my air conditioner's fixed. Yeah. That's all I need. Yeah, That's baby. all I've wanted. I'm going to hang some shit on the wall and I'm going to feel good. And then there was construction in my building, buzzing, drilling, and no one warned me. And I just can't believe it. And it truly I was hanging on by a thread. And now it's it's cut. <laughs> but it's like you're coming you're on the come down from a very fun vacation right isn't that a little bit what the sadness is about correct yeah and then yeah. you have to catch up on everything yes but no you're always uh trying to make me um not hate it as much <laughs> and i know it's cliche to bitch about la but maybe there's a reason for that <laughs> 
I feel like you always say this and then within a couple of weeks you're at the store, you're bopping around town, you're loving life. Yeah, we'll see. So we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> we'll see. Tune in next week when Rose, when Lisa's fully reporting to us from her new apartment in But New I did York. see Oscar and he's just a big ass baby now. He's, big. he's like grown. Yeah. And Rosie like heard Lisa was around the house and was like, Lisa? And like ran to her. So... Yeah, I had a little acting coach sesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was glad Ted got to lay eyes on Rosie. Maybe um, when she becomes a child actress, he can work with her. She would make tons <laughs> of money. And I don't know why you don't push that further. Because I have to take her. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I have to be around those moms. Yeah. That would sound, that would be terrible. No, you have enough. No, I had kind of a dream week. It was like I went nightclubbing with the club owner. <laughs> you know, I was like in a booth across from the DJ jumping on a jumping up and down as like cold steam blew in my face. Yeah. Um, like, you know, bottles of champagne, like f with fire out of it. Yeah. We had like a real, like this week, Lisa called me and we had a real, like two roads diverged in the wood. And I took the road with two children and like Lisa took the road with fucking partying and nightclubs and yeah. like, she was just living like her best life. And I was like, cool. I'm potty training my two-year-old. Well, good for her. But no, She's I saw Scotty Pippen at the Soho house pool in Chicago. Can you get. More, wow, like, what a I, sighting for a Chicago person. Went to a Cubs game, second row behind the home team dugout. Amazing. It was just a little much, but at least I got stuck in a hurricane to humble me back down. Yeah. And after my birthday party, I was um, struggling, if that's what you say. <laughs> I was in a dark room. Oh, it was tough. Oh, it man. Was tough. Lisa and I had to get on a video call the day after her birthday. And I was like, note to us, we don't do any business the day after Lisa's birthday. Anyone's you, birthday. Yeah, anyone's birthday. You just like were in a, yeah, I didn't see your face. You were just it was in a dark room. But I set it up top. I go, I'm, I'm not getting on camera and I think that's fine. What's the fuck is up with Google Hangouts? You can't hide the camera. On Zoom, you could at least hide it. You can't. No, I mean, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I was not in a place to, but I was watching a lot of Below Deck. Yeah. You don't watch any of it. No. But I want you to know my new mantra. So there's Hannah. She's a superstar. And um, she's like the the chief stewardess. Mm -hmm. Like she's the chief girl. Mm -hmm. And at the end of one of, of this whole season, one of the girls that worked under her was just like, I just want you to know you're the worst chief stew I've ever worked for. I think you're terrible. Blah, blah, blah. And just kept going on and on. And Hannah just went, okay. <laughs> and it drove Bugsy insane. And that is something I'm trying to take with me. It's like, that's literally the, oh, the full premise of that sketch on SNL with Pete Davidson. Like people just say things to him and he goes, okay, okay. You know, have you seen that? No, but you watch every episode. <laughs> I am a weirdly SNL completist. Oh, I want everyone to know. So I ran into someone that worked at SNL. Mm -hmm. And oh, this is amazing. I said, I go, I need, I have some professional things to bring up to you. And I could see the fear in her eyes. Like she thought I was about to ask to write it. Like I could just tell she was nervous. And then she was relieved when I went, why is Marishka Hargitay not hosted the show? I go, Maloney's ass is in the air. You know, like they're coming to get, why can't they do it together? What is going on? They're just on? having they're a huge NBC. moment. They're on your network for decades. They're both funny. Yeah. They're both good. They're actor. They're going to show up on time. They're going to work with everyone. It's NBC. What is going on? And so she sent some texts and she said, if it happens that we'll get to go. But I'm just saying like, <sighs> if it happens, I would like to take full credit as well. I mean, <laughs> uh, literally there should be press around you. Watch. Like, she's just like, um, making sandwiches there. And yeah. She's like, sure. I'll text somebody. No, I, I kind legit. of understand how SNL's always after like the new hot shit. And maybe they're a little old, but it's like, bring on Benson and Stabler and then make the guests be like fucking little Nas X or somebody that's really hot. Like make the musical guest somebody oh really God. young and hot. I love little Nas X's pregnant Bella so much. It's so funny. I do too. 
It's so and funny. It, I just love how hard he trolls on people. Like he's so good at it. He's like, he knew this would drive the conservatives fucking nuts to see a gay black man with a pregnant belly. It's like bingo for fuck faces. But it's just so silly that it's like, how do you even be mad at this? I know. He's not actual. What's good? Why, yeah. why are you mad? There's no baby. <laughs> It's just so good. Oh man, that's also, how. Thank you for posting. I did. I saw everyone write nice things to me. Oh I, yeah, I Lisa's birthday it. post. I you did. guys are the best listeners, and you all gave Lisa some beautiful birthday love. But you had a great birthday, right? Oh yeah, it was awesome. I you know I did live through the hurricane, <laughs> but no, it was incredible. I felt Wait, really yeah, lucky for my friends, scary. and I liked everyone around me. And then then I mean I was way more hammered than I ever anticipated <laughs> because the next day they were like we were all singing share. I didn't sing share. I was like I only took a couple shots. She goes every time I saw you you were taking a shot. So I was like I left my phone in a cab. I offered them 150. I got into a fight at the bodega. I was this guy was sneezing. I was like get your mask off. How dare you? And he goes you're not wearing a mask. And I was like <laughs> ah, all right. <laughs> I just I remember like, well, why are you cutting in line? And he went, don't talk to me. <laughs> like we, like I was truly uh, just out on the town. Sounds like you were at peak Lisa and that's perfect for your birthday. I, I did get dosed. I thought I was eating an edible and it was mushrooms. So I did have one night oh, that wow. was uh, less than ideal, but Lady Gaga got, got you me through, through it. it. Yeah. Well, I had one night. That was crazy. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I had one crazy night. I went to WeHo to West Hollywood, everybody, to see, to watch the finale of All Star 6. I happened, I, I called up some of my old Drag Race friends. We were all, we all wanted to see each other or whatever. So we, and some of them still work on the show. So we all got together at Rocco's, which is a bar that Lance Bass owns in West Hollywood. Okay, a little and, Vanderpump Jr. Yeah. And, uh, I, turns out Eureka was hosting that night. So Eureka's there. I got to meet Eureka. I'd never met her before. She was so sweet. Actually, I had met her one time. She was getting on an airplane and they did not have her first class ticket and she was distraught. And I, she looked like she was just really going through it. And I went, I just want to tell you, I think you're so talented. And she was like, thanks sis. And then that was it. And like, we just hadn't, but so then I really met her the other night. I got irresponsibly drunk for having two children. I don't know. Maybe I should be able to get as drunk as I want, but I got really drunk. I met Manila. Oh my God. Manila was out of drag. And I just, she was so cool. And I was just like, I, I was so drunk. And I kept seeing being like, well, I just think you were robbed. And like, she doesn't give a fuck about all stars Four. it was like four years ago. She's rich. Who cares? I, and I just, I really feel like I embarrassed myself. Pheromone was there. I forgot to say Eureka walked in with Tori Spelling and Snooki on either side of her. Like what an entrance, but my friend Jed was with me, a.k.a. Biggest Gossip from Connecticut High School that Lisa has dubbed him. And he was like, I mean, I don't know why she brought them. It's not like gays care about them. <laughs> like they don't like no, they don't care about Snooki and Tori, but maybe they're real friends. But then the next day, one of our friends sent us a clip that was like, Tori Spelling looks fully like Khloe uh, Kardashian now. Ooh. She's just had so much work done. Yeah, but it's weird because she looks like a better version of Khloe. It's like upsetting. Yeah. Also, I forgot we did intro, so maybe people already heard about Pippin and Cubs. And if that's the case, deal with it. No, no, no. I think it's okay, okay. because now you're in your set. You did a little bit of Pippin and Cubs in nightclub, but you didn't do full New York, full birthday. You know, we're getting the whole the trip. Food, yeah. The whole trip. The yeah, if you want to fucking drool a little bit, go over to Lisa's Instagram and check out her NY seafood post because that was some great photography going out with a chef is nice yeah emmy's guy yeah yeah wait so let's talk about all stars also manila was in my favorite lip sync this season with kylie sony glove for yeah. dirty 
That was good. That's when I was like, oh, Kylie is my girl. Once she did a handstand into the splits, I was like, and when I she like her. in the in the it's another thing where it's like really coming into the finale, anything can fucking happen. Everyone thought Shay was gonna win season nine, and those fucking rose petals took it for Sasha. Like, if you have a really good performance in the finale, I think you can win. And Kylie f- slipping and doing that somersault That's was a professional, amazing. That was a professional move. That was incredible. Oh, wait. So I went to my first in-person, not drive and drag show in Chicago. Oh, you went to drag brunch. I went to no food though. So I was funny, but you know, I'm sitting with my two girlfriends and you know, in walks Shea Coulee down the stairs and I go, Hey girl. And I, she gave me one of the, like the nicest, deepest hugs I could have ever imagined. And then I did feel cool. I got to introduce my girlfriend. You didn't even tell me this. To Shay Coulee. I saw you in a photo with Shay's boyfriend. Yes, and I, Dan. And I was like, oh, a she listener. got together with Dan's boyfriend, who we love. Big fan of the friend of the pod. But like, I didn't know you mentioned you saw Shay. Well, and then Shay was like, um, I'll, I'll be right back. She never came back. But um, <laughs> Uh, Dan was like, she's not coming, Um, (laughs) but, and then Dan goes, and you know, there's no food. So we're watching a drag show. I'm tipping tens, 20. I'm like throwing money at these people. (laughs) They are so good. So talented. There was a white Lotus, um, lip sync. No. Yes. And it went, it was like the massage scene with Jennifer Coolidge and it went into my neck, my back into tweet. Oh, white Lotus to tweet. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. And then one was doing a hundred percent pure love. And these are, yeah, Dan knew all of them. These are all his friends. And one of the Queens they're like the walls are uh, windows. So she runs out in the middle of the performance, runs into the middle of the street with full feathers, like fun outfit and is dancing in the middle of the street. And then I see my friend Catherine and I go, what, why is Catherine there? <laughs> we text Catherine. And she goes, I need to eat. I fell down. And then, so we're trying to close out. We on. chase her, both of my friends, both Veronica and Ka- puking in the streets. I'm sober. I'm driving them. I drank as much as them. Like, I don't know what happened. Both of my friends, we went to jet and then just, puking all over the streets i had to bring veronica to my show like and try to chill her but it was wild it was wild what a day and then i had shows i had two shows that night i hope you know that's amazing wait speaking of white lotus we were so big into it when i was staying with my family on the east coast that my brothers got rosie to start saying ni hao nicole mossbacher (laughs) and she says it like all the time now (laughs) it's like so good um, that is amazing. Yeah, if you haven't watched White Lotus, check that shit no, out. No, Dan and I took shots of Malort. And uh, also, I, I love everyone's Chicago love in the comments. Yeah, everybody's nice. like, fuck that Oklahoma bitch. You guys are real ones and we yeah. love you. Um, yeah. Um, but it was amazing to see drag and I can't wait to see more. Well, now more that you're drag. here, maybe I'll take you to some drag in a, one of the greatest drag cities that you currently live in. Yeah. And you can stop hating it. Please. I, <laughs> I want to. And it was just, um, it was really great. Yeah. It was really fun. Eureka was like hosting. So she was kind of performing and, um, but, but it's just like watching the show in a bar is just so fun. Maybe there'll be more, maybe there'll be UK viewings for like the new season of UK and we'll go. Oh, I would do yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I heard there's Italian now too. I mean, they can't stop. Even for me, I'm like, I need a br- I know. I, I, I don't watch Holland and I'm not going to watch Espana, but I would watch Italia just because I love Italy and I speak Italian and I would like, it okay, would kind Maloney. of, it would kind of, yeah. okay, stable. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's messed up pods guy in Rome. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> 
Call back to episode one of our podcast. I can't believe people listen. Yeah, it was really fun meeting everyone out and about. One of my favorite girls at the cellar, Sarah, was like, you know, I listen. And I go, I didn't oh, know. Baby. I got it. I got a part time babysitter, got her turned on to it. She was sitting behind me watching my child and I and I heard her phone go off and it was a law and order SVU theme song. And I was like, excuse me, is that your phone? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, I got to tell you about something. So I'm converting people by hiring them into my life. Oh, and the last night of New York, um, I love David Tell. He's my favorite comedian. Mm -hmm. And he's going after me at the comedy cellar. He's so good. And I was there with a few friends. We'd been drinking, but I was laughing harder than I've ever laughed in my life. And then he brought me on stage with him. I got to sit on the piano bench and it was like old times and we're just like riffing back and forth. And it was like, I couldn't. No wonder you started crying when you got home. Oh my God. (laughs) And one more quick thing before we go, just a reminder that Lisa and I will be doing stand up at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival uh, the last weekend of September, which is the 23rd through the 25th. But on the 25th, we will be doing a live that's messed up at 6 30 p.m at the parker jazz club if you have friends in austin if you live in austin please send them our way please send yourselves our way please come and see us because we would love that all right let's move on we've got a great episode for you today let's uh get lisa's la groove back come on Let's get going we're gonna talk today about mother season five episode three i've seen this one a million times and it's never gets old. So the episode starts with two dudes like walking in New York. One is like very scared of everything he's seeing. He's very like, he acts like he's just, I don't know. He's so scared to be in New York. He references a paraplegic hooker, not my words, but I I don't know what's going on with these two guys. They go up to an unmarked door. Well, yeah, if you're so scared of New York, you don't have to be going to the unmarked doors in the middle of the night. Exactly. Go back to the double tree in Times Square, bitch. (laughs) Exactly. I was, I was thinking the same thing. I was kind of like, you also just like, don't need to come to New York if this is so hard for you. Yeah, you um, could just go eat ramen. <laughs> There's other things to do. Yeah, Times Square is very clear. There's an M&M store. Oh, are you trying to find sex workers in the middle of the night? Yeah, it might be a sketchy area. Yeah, well, I think we find out they're trying to do heroin. I, I, I'm, I'll get into it, but I'm confused as to what this journey is for these two guys. They go up to an unmarked door and there's a guy guarding it. And the guy just says to him, Enrique. And then he's like, Ricardo down at the Java barn in Soho said you could hook us up. So I think what they're trying to do here is convey to us that these guys are total losers that are getting their hookups from like random baristas that they meet. Like they don't actually know anyone that can help them get what they need. So they just have to talk to whoever. They pay this guy at the door 20 bucks. And the guy goes, that was just a house fee. Because they thought 20 bucks was going to get them, I guess, the drugs they're looking for. Uh, And they're like, he's like, Enrique is downstairs, third door on the left. They go looking for him and they're like, second door on the left. It's like, you guys. And the one guy goes, just try not to pee my pants. It's like, act like you've been there before. You're being really embarrassing. Um, I know it might be your first time in a heroin shooting house, but you need to just calm down. So they walk through all this nasty warehouse. There's all these dripping sounds, um, which is obviously... I think what the Foley artist does to make things seem creepy is just random dripping sounds. And then they go into a room looking for Enrique and they see a woman lying on the bed and we don't, we can't really tell what's up. Like she might be tied to the bed. And one of the dudes goes, we're still going to score flip you to see who does it first. So this guy is a piece of trash and the scared boy at least has a conscience and goes, 
you sick freak. She's unconscious. And that is a man who was raised correctly, even though he was raised to believe that everything in New York is very scary. Um, he says something about not being able to get it up once the H hits. And that's what makes me think that they're obviously on the hunt for heroin. Um, and the other guy is just essentially about to rape this woman when two cops bust in and they handcuff these guys and then they try to wake up this woman and we can, that's when we can see that her hands are duct taped. So her hands have been duct taped together and she's just lying unconscious on this bed. So in the next scene, Benson and Stabler are there and the cop is walking them through what's up. He's just telling them like she has no track marks. She took a nasty blow to the head. She has no idea. She's just not the typical person that you would find in one of these. Um, they keep calling it a shooting gallery, um, which I had never heard that term before, but I guess that's, um, how you talk about a place where people do heroin. Um, and then he says he found this guy with his pants down about to do her. And he goes, I was just trying to help her up. Classic Benson line. She goes with your penis. And I just have always loved that line. And then they're wheeling the woman out. We don't know at this point whether she's dead or not. She's just been kind of lying on the, she was lying on the thing. I thought maybe she was dead when we found her, but she just has a head injury. And as they get her into the light, Benson and Stabler actually recognize her as the expert witness from some big trial. And her name is Dr. Greta Heinz. Um, and Stabler goes, she's the woman who thinks she can fix rapists. And then we're at the credits. That's a troublesome profession to think you can fix rapists, I guess. We find out that she is a top forensic psychiatrist who teaches at Hudson Medical School. Um, she spends most of her time trying to cure sex offenders and wrote a book about it. And these two guys that were wandering New York, alternately scared and trying to rape people, were doing research for their art. They had mentioned a chapter or something, so I guess they're writers. Finn and Munch bring in the door guy and the two dorks who paid to get in. And um, he's like, I was just hanging out. I don't know shit. And they're like, that's uh, probably not the case. You are a door guy at this shooting gallery. So they interrogate him and he's like, I knew those two cholos were bad luck. I thought that was confusing because that's these men are not my definition of cholos. Um, the door guy's name is Javier Francisco Medina, a.k.a. Badass. He has a long rap sheet and he tells them that this woman Dr. Heinz came in 30 minutes before the raid and she's one of those do-gooders. She's bad for business. He didn't want to let her in, but she said she had a patient who inside who was in trouble and she gave him $40. So then we find out Dr. Heinz is awake and the last thing she remembers is leaving the Hamptons. She has no clue who did this and she will not give them any of her clients' names. She's very, very um, big on the, on the therapist client privilege and will not tell them anyone who she even suspects would have done this, even though you can, I think, as a therapist, report someone that you think is has committed a crime or might commit another crime. So and then Benson says to Stabler when they're talking about it, how would you feel if Kathy was treating sex offenders one on one? And he goes, I wouldn't let her. And Benson's like, let her. And he's like, did I say that? Classic. Yeah, with every rewatch, it's confusing that anyone ever truly liked him. Yeah. It's basically just his looks at this point <laughs> that is keeping him alive. I was, it, I, it actually got me Googling Kathy. I was like, does she has she ever had a job or she's just been a stay at home mom? I mean, he's, he's really never let her do anything except have many, many of his children. Um, and all it really says in her thing about her is that she's a mom and a very devout Catholic. But anyway, so they think they can work around the doctor's confidentiality issues by looking up like who was court appointed to see her. And um, Finn and Munch go check it out and says that um, there's like about two dozen of these patients that are seeing 
Dr. Heinz, Bruce Horton was one guy who was seeing her and said he'd rip her guts out if he had to see her again. And then um, the guy says her method is a little unorthodox. So we're getting an idea that this is not just like a regular tell me how you feel therapist. Um, So now we're at the fish market talking to this guy, Bruce. He is pretty scary. He's very large and he's like slapping a butcher knife down and chopping the heads off of fish the entire. I love him. He's a top 10 (laughs) character, I would say, of all history. (laughs) He was very nervous. (laughs) So muscular, so wild. And I bet he has a voice of an angel. Like, I bet he's a Broadway guy or something. Oh, we should look him up. I also Um, looked up the door guy because I was obsessed with him, but he's not famous, even though he should be. He was funny. Yeah, I thought he was very good. We're talking to Bruce and Bruce is like, that bitch tried to emasculate me, told me to suck on my thumb, gave me stuffed animals, read me bedtime stories, had me call her mommy. And um, I feel like he could use a little childlike wonder in his life, but he was not interested in it. And her therapy backfired, he said. Her program made me want to go out and prove my manhood, if you know what I mean. So I don't know. He's a very scary character to me. Um, with his big threats of rape. But now we're talking to Huang. He says that Dr. Heinz is a pioneer in the field. She believes all sex offenders were themselves abused. And Benson's like, yeah, duh, most were. And she thinks if they can be regressed back to the time of trauma, then she can reparent them. They call it healing their psychic boo-boos. I forget who says that. Munch, maybe? Um, It's cutting-edge stuff, and the jury is still out on whether any of it works. And I have actually heard a lot of moms in my mom group refer to, like, reparenting themselves, like trying to break the bad patterns of their own childhood. So I think this is, like, a thing that people definitely... I'm very conflicted about the mom groups because I did get this couch from one of the moms, but then they're (laughs) also trying to close my dispensary. So I don't know how to feel about these moms. I know, but I have to tell you, I think that there's only a couple moms trying to close the dispensary and not that many people are joining in on the crusade. There was a flyer on our friend's doorstep to close it. Yeah, they're definitely vocal, but I just don't think they're getting a lot of help from the other moms. A lot of us are not contributing. I'm just saying I hope it doesn't work because I like that dispensary also. But I've just heard of like this reparenting stuff. Like if you go back, like try to think about your own childhood and not repeat your same traumas, you won't pass them on and stuff like that. But I'm sure it's deeper than that. And as evidenced by this woman's therapy that we'll find out more about. Um, And Cragen's like, you can't rehab these guys. They need to be locked up. And Benson says, well, you know, seven out of 10 of them will rape again. So at least she's trying something, you know. So Cragen suggests civil commitment, which is like Nushan Williams, which we talked about a couple of episodes ago. And uh, Munch is like, oh, yeah, make them pay for their crime twice. That'll go over gangbusters at the ACLU. So Munch is on our side here about that. Um, So Huang tells them that that Dr. Heinz is actually on the civil commitment review board and that they just let out their first rapist, a guy named Benny Edgar Ralsey, believed to have raped 30 to 40 victims. They only got him on seven or eight up in Albany. And he was known as the duct tape rapist. So that's why it's sort of important to remember that she was found with her hands duct taped together um, in this uh, shooting gallery. So uh, she claimed that Benny Edgar Ralsey's treatment was a total success. So now Finn goes to visit Benny at his job at an electronics store. And he's like, Dr. Heinz completely rewired me. I don't even think that way anymore. He says he would never hurt her because she's the whole reason he's out. She's like a mother to me. Keyword. Um, he was home alone that night, but he was also wearing an ankle monitor. 
So then they go talk to this guy and they, there's this whole thing about the ankle monitor. And like the guy just keeps saying too many times how perfect and foolproof it is. And whenever you're talking about that so much, it's like, clearly there's a problem. There's a hole in your logic because someone's going to figure out how to fuck with it. Um, he has this GPS on him and like they track him and they're like, see right now he's on his way home from work. And there's areas that are flagged red for areas of known sex work. And that's off limits to him because a lot of his victims were sex workers and Stabler's like, he's getting awfully close to a hoe zone right now. I don't know. Stabler with the word play. No, I'm, I'm taking that for life. <laughs> Entering a bar and going, we're in a hoe zone. That's, <laughs> that's great. So then, okay. So then the guy who's explaining all this to them says, yeah, if he makes a wrong move, like he steps into a hoe zone, I'm notified immediately to my PDA and I'm like, LOL, very 2003. And he just keeps saying how foolproof it is. So obviously Benson and Stabler are going to figure out how this guy is uh, slipping the slipping the monitor. Benson and Stabler are staking out his place. They're chatting. They're talking about how they got the LUDs from her phone and that she got a phone call from a payphone two stops away from Benny's place. So that's like pretty far to go two stops on a train to make a call at a, at a payphone, but maybe it happened. But then how did he beat the ankle monitor? Maybe he's because he works in an electronic store. He has some way of doing it. And then they think he's trying to climb out the window. They see some, uh, you know, they see some movement up by his window and it turns out it's just his cat. And then they get an alarm about an unauthorized departure and they look up and realize the guy has put his ankle monitor around the cat's collar. I don't really know why it went off. He's not allowed to go out onto his fire escape. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now it's not really foolproof when you can slip the damn thing off your ankle and put it on your cat, I guess. A note to that other man. Has anyone ever bedazzled their ankle monitor? I would <laughs> love to see that. <laughs> The top article is about a woman being fined for having done so. So I don't think it's allowed. Ugh, but it's been done. You're not allowed to express yourself through your ankle monitor? Apparently not. Well, boo. Um, now they're waiting on a warrant for um, Benny's place. And uh, we find out he was fired from the electronic shop after they left because the coworkers all freaked out when they found out who he was. Um, they're watching his mom's house. And uh, Cabot walks in with bangs serious bangs and tells them not to hold their breath. She looked at the visitor logs from when he was in jail and in eight years, no one visited him, including his mother, not a person. So that's sort of sad. He served his time. He's not on parole. And this is the first time a civil commitment has been released. So he's legally Joe citizen and the standards are higher. Like, it's not like he's on parole, breaking parole. You can kind of get a, a warrant a lot easier. Um, so she says she needs more. Um, you need to go back and talk to the doctor and then they get word as, as they always do in SVU at just at this exact moment, they get word that someone has vandalized Dr. Heinz's office. So at her office, the place is totally torn up. Her session tapes have been, uh, for the week have been stolen and she's defending Benny. She's like, he's my biggest success story. He has a new life, a healthy relationship and a good job until you persecuted him. Um, and she only... They want to know about his girlfriend. They're like, oh, he has a relationship like with who? And then she goes, I only know her name is Amy. And um, she'd been encouraging him to reconnect with his family. They talked to his brother. His brother is not down with the reconnection. She, he says, Benny is an embarrassment. I told him a couple of weeks ago to lose my number. I guess also because he has teenage daughters and he's worried about them around his brother. And then Benny said that he was dating a nice, wholesome girl, a librarian. So... Now we're at the library talking to Amy. I guess we just found 
we cross-referenced all the librarians named Amy and we found this girl. Uh, at the library, she is like gushing about Benny, celebrating their one month anniversary soon. She seems like very giddy talking about him. She's in love. And she says, it's not his fault. Benny had an addiction and it's under control now. She's like, we have plenty of books about the subject. Oops, she thinks he's a gambling addict and not a full convicted rapist. Um, I also feel like he's very young to be getting out of jail for being got on seven to eight rapes. Yeah, but according to all of our research, that seems truly yeah. perfect. I bet he was like under 18, raped everyone and then let him out at 21. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're right. Because like they, I think they said he was in there for eight years. and I'm like for seven to eight rapes. And when they thought that he was did 30 to 40 and he had a literal nickname, I feel like once you have a nickname, you're in jail for life. But maybe I'm wrong. The duct tape No, rapist. I bet. Yeah, I bet you can steal a car and get more time that's true you know paul bernardo's always up for whatever and he's a ken and barbie killer so um they basically tell amy what his real crimes are and she breaks down and she, she says he's at my apartment last night was the first time he ever spent the night so that's why he slipped the ankle monitor not really sure why he would make that the first night he does that after the cops have been sniffing around him but you know he made a choice at Amy's place, Benny's like cooking her dinner and he's like, hey, babe. And the detectives arrive. He runs for it. Um, Finn and Munch stop him. They went through his bags at Amy's place and they find that he took pictures of her sleeping. They found a glass cutter, a crowbar, duct tape, like essentially a full rapist toolkit. And he admits that he does still think about it. And that, that would it's a be constant a fun shark tank product. <laughs> rapist toolkit yeah. gets you out of any jam or into any jam. Um, he admits he still thinks about offending and it's a constant struggle. And he, but he said he didn't buy any of that stuff until the cops started hounding him. I don't know what that, like you get so stressed out by the cops investigating you that you want to reoffend. but I guess maybe that's, that's what happened in rooftop. So we'll see. Um, he's still claiming he had nothing to do with what happened to Dr. Heinz. And so now Benny is being sent back to a state hospital. Like he's basically, going to prison because none of the evidence of this break-in ties him to it, but he is going back to, you know, being civilly committed. Um, they find Prince at the scene of Robert Logan. And so they go to pick him up and there are cops and an ambulance there already because Robert has just attempted suicide and he gets brought out on a stretcher and Dr. Heinz is there with him. Yikes. Okay. At the top of act three, Dr. Heinz is like, I, he was in crisis. I came to his apartment and they're like, what's why or why? What's what the house call? He's the one that attacked you. And she said, yeah, I suspected that. And Benson and Stabler are like, what is going on? She says he had anger issues with her the last time they saw each other the previous Friday. She told him she needed to transition him to another therapist and he became obsessed with her. And she suggested maybe he see a male therapist. Now, Huang is talking to Robert, giving him the old Huang once over. And he's like, we're in love. She's leaving her husband for me. All we do is make love in our sessions. She initiated all of it and said he stole the session tapes so he could hear her voice. And it hurts when I'm not with her. And they're like, OK, well, where are the tapes? And he's like, someone stole them from me. And um, they're like, we just got to get those tapes. They prove that she loves me. So now we're we, we want we want to find these tapes. I'd like to add, I do love this actor. Yes. He is one of my favorites. No, he's he's great. Scary he's really movie, Prime. I love it. Yeah. And cool. You enter SVU with a bloody neck on a stretcher. Oh, yeah. Way to make a splash. Um, okay. 
So he says someone stole the tapes and that if they find the tapes, they'll prove that she loves him. Like on the tapes, there's all this stuff about her wanting him to get undressed so they can take a bath together to suck on her breasts, like all this stuff. Huang's like, what happened with the crack house? And he's like, I don't remember. I lose time. I have blackouts. I enter these fugue states. And the last thing I remember is Greta, quote unquote, breaking up with me. So that's kind of convenient that he has memory loss and doesn't know whether he did that or not. Um, Dr. Heinz is saying it's common for patients to fantasize about their therapist. It's called transference. And Robert doesn't deny the attack. He just doesn't remember the details. He has a history of going into psychogenic fugue states, these disassociative episodes where he loses days, weeks, and has no memory of these chunks of time. Cabot's not buying the suicide attempt. Apparently, he sliced the wrong way. Either he's trying to get back to the doctor or this is a setup for an insanity defense. The attorney is requesting a 730 exam. We'll see if he's competent to stand trial. Huang doubts it, um, but they've got to dig into his mental state leading up to the crime. Like, it's fine if he's crazy now, but like, you know. So it turns out Robert was a student at Hudson U Law School. He hasn't been to class in weeks. They're talking to, again, one of these people that will not stop to talk to the cops. She's late. She's late. She's got to keep moving to talk to the cops. So he made law review and cracked under the pressure. And the day his article was due for the law review, he disappeared. And then he turned up a week later thinking that that was the due date. And he freaked out when they told him he wasn't going to be published. So this woman was like, I actually tried to date Robert. He seemed like he needed me. He's an overachiever and he had no energy left for sex. He's impotent. Okay, but like, I mean, there's a lot of information about this man. She will not stop moving. She has to go. And then this girl says he told her she was dirty and he cut everyone off. So she thinks that the shrink made uh, things worse. And um, she's basically sprinting away from the detectives. And not really quickly before she leaves, she mentions that he's very close with his sister named Christina. So now we're at a methadone clinic talking to his sister, Christina, and she's telling them what a quack Dr. Heinz is. She well, grabbed- I have huge news here. Yeah. She is holding a meth addict and dragging him around. And that is Will Miles's brother. This is Will Miles's brother's episode. Yes, this is James Miles being dragged by the sister. Wow. Well, he does a great job at appearing weightless. I mean, yeah. I mean he, he, he like is a full dead body in her hands essentially um shout out james and will miles just so you guys know is a very funny comedian and writer who is a mutual friend of ours so that's his brother and has a very cute daughter yes exceptionally cute and he's seen me pee in public more than any other one of my friends oh well that's an interesting record holder because i feel like yeah there's a lot of people in the running for that one. Oh, yeah, um, no, there's been a lot. Like, I, I've definitely pulled over while he's been in my car and had to just pee in the streets. So that's yeah. another thing Will is very much known for. He's great. Okay, so Christina grabs James Miles, who is like, you know, high on meth and starts dragging him through the hall as she continues talking to Benson and Stapler. It's one of the wildest like walk and talks I've ever seen. She's just fully carrying a grown man while she talks. She says that she reported Dr. Heinz, but Robert said that he was helping her. And so they dropped the case and like it was never investigated. Like I think she wanted to investigate her for malpractice or something. Um, She says he couldn't have attacked the doctor because she had him admitted to the hospital for a 24 hour hold because he was rambling like a three year old at the time of the attack. So she's giving him an alibi. 
Robert was agitated, asking for Dr. Heinz. They couldn't reach her. And he said he'd be fine with everything as soon as he saw her. But apparently he checked out after five hours AMA against medical advice. At the precinct, Benson and Stable are filling in Cragen and they're trying to they're trying to figure out whether he lured her to this place, whether hours before the attack, he was in his right mind. And then they hear, who cares? And we spin around and we find Bettina Amador, civil actions, ADA. And I just think that this name is funny because the guy that came and put electricity in my garage was named Amador and Rosie's never forgotten him. And she constantly goes, where's Amador? Did he bring his tools? Like she always asks about him. So anyway, Bettina Amador looks like a Jersey Shore girl who like went to law school and was like, I can be a bitch professionally. And she's really like sassy. So she says, Logan won't go to trial. He's not fit to proceed. It doesn't matter how sane he was at the time of the attack. They're saying he's Looney Tunes now. And Benson is like, he's faking it. And she's acting like really bored. She's like, I guess I'll try it. Like, she's like, okay. I love calling people Looney Tunes. (laughs) And I wonder if she thought she would come back. Like, it is a wild. She really goes for it. Yeah. I I wonder if she was like, this is my moment. And then. Yeah, I looked her up too. I looked her up. She's, I think, on Riverdale and a bunch of other things that I, nothing I've really watched, but she, she works a lot. Um, and then right before she walks out of the room, she goes, might want to spruce it up for court. She like fully reads the detectives for filth and it's pretty funny. Um, in court, Bettina is cross-examining Dr. Vaca, who is another psychiatrist who says Robert is delusional and highly agitated. He doesn't even understand the charges that are being brought against him. And Bettina's like, he looks fine to me. And the doctors are like, he's heavily medicated. And she's like, oh, he's high. Like she's very aggressive in the court. Well, everyone that thinks he's faking it, it's like, no, he's clearly off his rocker. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand the suspicion. You, he's, he, he we see him and he's bleeding from his neck you know like clearly something is not okay you know this therapist is asking him to suckle her breasts like something is up i don't know why they're all like this guy's not telling the truth like i've never seen a more compelling defendant on this show yeah we've seen people fake it before and it's not the same vibe We've seen people faking being crazy on this show and he's no, he's he's fully thinks that they are in love and this is crazy and he doesn't know what's happening. Like, I don't know why everyone is suspicious of him. Yeah. And I would say losing time, like losing weeks before you go on your get your law review thing published. Like he's definitely there's a history here of of, you know, mental illness. So. Robert is being represented by SVU staple Cleo Conrad, played by Jill Marie Lawrence, iconic defense attorney. And then Dr. Heinz takes the stand and Bettina asks, are you in love with Robert Logan? And she says no. And that's like really where you can tell Robert is like, he's so confused. He's like, what? Why are you saying that? Like he thought she would get on the stand and just clear this all up, proclaim her love for him and it would all be good. And then he gets to do another amazing thing. The dream role on SVU. He gets to fucking flip out in the courtroom. Yes, completely. She, she says she's never engaged in sexual intercourse with him. And he's like, why are you lying? I think this is why in my mind, I thought maybe she did have sex with him when I watched this episode in the past. I think I thought that she did have sex with him, but she didn't. Um, he says, 
why are you lying? Why are you lying? And she's like, this is a fantasized relationship. It's projection based on transference. Like he's confused the pain and trauma of his past with their intimate corrective therapy. And this is just too much for Robert fully breaks down. Like you said, gets up and is like, just tell them you love me like over and over and over again. He has to be restrained by Benson and Stabler. Um, so now obviously we're at the precinct and of course a judge has deemed him unfit to proceed. So there we are with that in walks, his sister being like, he's unfit because of what this woman did to him. She then has a full boom box in her hand and plays them a tape of Dr. Heinz. There's a lot of, it's 2003. There's still a lot of cassette tapes being, you know, bandied about in this episode. So she plays them a tape of Dr. Heinz sharing some sexy therapy time with Robert. She said she found the tapes in Robert's apartment. Um, and they're the ones he stole. So she found them when she went looking for evidence of how this, uh, woman was, you know, hurting her brother. So now the tapes are creepy. I mean, the tapes are creepy. The tapes are her being like, my favorite time of the day is when you get out of the bath and you're naked and all this stuff. So out of context, they do sound incriminating. Like they could be incriminating. Like she's doing something, you know, abusive. Um, Benson and Stabler like go to question her. They're playing more sexy sound bites from the tape. And she's like, I'm a professional. This is my life work. I would never do anything inappropriate. And she doubles down on this reparenting. Uh, yes, but if she has. someone's parents are terrible people, transference could not work. You know what I mean? Like you're taking them back to this horrific thing. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And I don't understand why you can't like reparent them, take them back to the time and then just be like, I love you. You're my son. Like, why, why does it, it have to be bath time? It could be playing yeah. in the sandbox. It could be being in a car. It could be going through the drive through. Like, it makes no sense that it has to be a tub. It has to be you breastfeeding. Like this bitch is twisted. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> well, she could think she's doing something medically, but it's like you can take him back to the playground he doesn't have to be like, yeah, I'm going to take you back to when you pissed your pants. Like, why? <laughs> why can't it just be a fun birthday party? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he never had those. Maybe the theory is it has to be like the worst, worst times of your life. I don't know. I don't know. But he does later talk about some traumatic bath stuff. So maybe that's why I really don't know. But um, it just seems dangerous. I'm yes. going to hypnotize you and take you back to the most traumatic, awful moments of your childhood where you were not able to comprehend what was happening to you. I'm going to take you to this dark space and then you better behave after. It makes no sense. I think that's why people think that hypnosis is a little bit um, not reliable, too. Right. I don't know. Because you can like event you can like create. Um, memories and stuff, I think. But anyway, um, Stabler agrees with you. He does not get this. He's like, I have four kids. I would never talk to them like this. And she's like, I had to regress Robert to the point where he was traumatized and give him the love he never got. So she talked him through breastfeeding, but there was never any contact. Like, I don't know. I don't understand this because most kids don't remember breastfeeding except for Kurt Braunel or who talks about how he does remember being best breastfed. And um, why was he old? Yeah, I think his mom did it for a while. He has a stand up joke about how he remembers doing it. <laughs> and maybe that's not the best memory to have. I mean, he turned out fine, but there's got does he talk about uh any of his side effects? I don't know. I just I don't know. <laughs> Somebody just referenced the bit to me the other day. I actually haven't heard it. Yeah, we're all about accepting all different types of people and not mom shaming, but nah, that's disgusting. <laughs> if you're someone that wants to breastfeed as your child has full-blown memories for life, you're a bad person. 
<laughs> you know, I only made it seven months, so I'm not going to argue with you there. Um, Huang says that maybe it's countertransference when a therapist develops feelings for a patient, but they just want to know, did she actually have like intercourse with him? And there's no answers to that yet. Finn says no one from the shooting gallery can ID Robert. No one puts him there. Badass is in the wind. Our friend uh, who was at the door named Badass. Um, but Finn just tracked him down. And he says when they go talk to him, he's like, I've seen him before passing out needles with this woman, his sister. And so it turns. So he goes, she was at the shooting gallery that night. And that I thought it was weird because she doesn't usually come by after dark. So now, dun, 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 a twist. Why was Christina there? We cut to a room at the precinct where Benson and Sabler are like double team interrogating Christina. They found her prints on the duct tape used to bind Dr. Heinz. And she basically explains, I went crazy when I found the cassette tape. I had lured her to the heroin place because I wanted her to feel as low as my brother had felt like to feel like she'd fallen so low. Um, and then they're like, but she had trauma to her genitals. Like you sexually assaulted her. And she's like, no, I just kicked her as hard as I could between her whoring legs. So damn. Um, now she says she's been watching after Robert since they were seven and their mom died of cancer. She'll go to jail protecting him. But if she's going down, Dr. Heinz is going down too. And she insists on pressing charges. And Finn has a funny line where he says, if she Freudian slipped it to him, she could do longer than her attacker. That's a funny way to talk about a, a therapist having sex with a patient is getting it Freudian slipped to you. Sorry. I mean, it shouldn't happen, but it's a funny way to, to reference it. Olivia, they basically find, figure out that Olivia says because it's Christina's first offense, she'll do a year max. But if the doctor had sex with her patient and is part of all this, she could do four years. Um, do you go to jail for having sex with your patients? No. Why would she do time? Maybe for covering it up. Um, anyway, Robert could be screwed for life because he, and he's the only one who's like a pure victim in this whole thing. Well, it's gotta be a crime. It's not like the guy is on his, she like does magic spells on him, takes him to being a child and then fucks him. That seems like a crime. You yes. Know what I mean? Yes. No, you're right. That would be. I wonder how like they could prosecute that because he's like, I love her. We're together, you know? Yeah, but you can't consent. It's like if a doctor fucks a patient, right. it's not therapist. It's wrong. Yes. No, of course it's wrong. Of course. I'm just wondering how it could be like prosecuted. But well, yeah. California, it is illegal. Sexual content of any kind between a therapist and a client is unethical and illegal in the state of California. Oh, illegal. Additionally, with regard to former client sexual contact within two years after termination of therapy is also illegal and unethical. Whoa. Good, good, good research, Hannah. I literally just was like, I'm sure you would get disbarred or lose your, lose your license or whatever. I just didn't know there was legal implications to it because people probably have affairs with their therapists like all the time that are not this. Are you thinking of first wives club? I don't know. Am I? Yeah, maybe Marsha. I mean, okay. Like if, if somebody just like was attracted to their therapist and had sex with them, is that a crime? Yeah, the therapist should not do that. It is right. a crime. Right, okay. If a student wants to fuck a teacher, it's still a crime. No, but a, a college student can fuck a professor. It's not a crime. They're adults. Okay, so you're four therapists no, fucking children. We got it. We'll put it on the merch. Kara wants Lisa, therapists to fuck clients. he's not a child. Clients. I'm just, I, listen, I am just asking. I don't think anyone should have any physical contact with their therapists. I promise. Anyway. Let's move on from me being maybe into pedophilia. Okay. Um, so it wasn't even pedophilia. <laughs> I know you, you just, just said, you pedophilia. said that I was into therapists having sex with children. Oh, I did. Yes. 
<laughs> okay, wait, let's get back. I don't want to miss this because this is great. Um, they're talking about how Robert is the only pure victim in all of this. And then Finn goes, that's messed up. We found <gasps> it. We found it. I've been looking everywhere for like specific places. I know he said it a few times, but this is one place where he says it. Um, meanwhile, Olivia looks up the whole history of the mom who died of cancer and turns out she died in a house fire. The fire was suspicious because lighter fluid was used as an accelerant. And now they're all thinking maybe Robert set the fire. So they go talk to Dr. Hines. She has no clue about the fire. And um, they tell her that Christina was the one that attacked her. And she's like, someone has to see Robert immediately. Someone has to talk him through this. His mother was a religious fanatic. She would pull him out of bed and make him pray for his sins. And so like, he really needs to like, someone needs to go like talk him down from this. So they send Huang. Huang's talking to Robert and he has like a full revelatory session with this man. Like what sins did your mother think you had? And he said, I was born a boy. Boys are dirty. She would wash him and hit him in his genitals. She would tie a string around his penis really tight. So it would die and fall off. And basically just was like, sex is evil. That's what makes men bad. Like, and, um, he's freaking out talking to Huang and he's like, I can't talk about it anymore. We can't talk about it. And Huang's like, we have to talk about the fire. It's a lot of good work from Huang here. He just keeps pushing through it. Um, and he's like, I was outside when the fire happened. And he's like, well, who said it? And he's like, I promised I wouldn't tell. And it's who did you promise? And he's like, Christina. So now we know Christina set the fire, his sister. She did something bad when she was younger and she was sent away, but she came back that night to save him. That's what we're going into the final scene knowing. So now we're at Rikers and they confront Christina about killing her mom. And she's like, my mom threw me out when I was 14. She didn't approve of the guys I was seeing. I never talked to her after that. And then they're like, uh, what happened? She's like, I got pregnant. My mother nearly beat me to death and left me with relatives in Minnesota. And they're like, oh, so you came back to uh, save your brother from being abused. And she goes, she wasn't abusing my brother. She was abusing my son. Twist. She tore him out of her arms the day he was born, took him in as her own son, and then punished him for seven years for the sins that Christina had committed in her mind. And she just, the episode ends with Christina going, wouldn't you do the same thing for your son? Wow. Haunting. Yes. Very haunting. And the people that don't watch SVU, I bet this was fun to hear. This fun twist. Yeah. You know, this, it's like listening to a play on the radio or something. They don't <laughs> they don't know what's happening. So to those who don't watch SVU at all, fun twist, huh? <laughs> Makes you want to watch like our little radio play. Um, no, but I am excited to hear you talk about the true crime because I don't really know anything about this. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. 
Jane, this is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So the true crime is as um, elusive or something as the episode. We don't know what happens or why. We It's just a he said, she said uh, bonanza. Um, so this is about a psychiatrist named Margaret Bean Bayog. I don't know. That's a wild last name and it's hyphenated. <laughs> and Bayog reminds me of like the Korean meat, the, the bagogi or whatever. So she's just like, I don't know. I'm probably going to call her beans or something throughout (laughs) the episode. So Margaret Bean Bayog is a Harvard psychiatrist, and she was accused of sexually abusing one of her patients and contributing to his suicide. Um, Yeah, it's sadder than the show. Or not. I don't know. Yeah. There was like fire and hitting of genitals in the show. (laughs) So this could be neck and neck. We, uh, we don't know. We'll do a poll after what's worse. (laughs) Um, so this case is about her therapy methods and that she maybe, maybe not became sexually involved with her patient, Paul Lozano, who was a Harvard medical school student. Um, Paul, a little bit about Paul. He was the youngest of six kids. He was a high school honor student and cross country runner. He was like truly a genius. There was all this, um, like information about him at three years old, being able to spell, you know, like everyone was like, he's a shining star. Um, I didn't put that in because I don't believe when parents think their kids can do things, but it, it was written that he was a super, they knew he was a genius from age three. And then he did go to West point and he hated it. Duh. Why would you want to do that? My brother went there and did he hate it or love it? I don't think he loved it, but he went into the military, you know? Yeah, it's just like homework's hard enough and now you're getting yelled at and having to do physical activity, climb yeah. ropes. No, it's like he had a girl, He his his wife was his girlfriend at the time and like when she came to visit him, I don't even think she could go to his room. You know, like it's like, I don't think they really party or have fun. No, there is a Simpsons episode where Lisa and uh, Bart go to military school and that's funny. <laughs> uh, it was a great episode and like a really, it was a good one. I love yeah. uh, when they become friends at the end and you learn about sibling love. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he hated West Point and then he went to the University of Texas, El Paso, and then he went to Harvard um, where he was in a joint MD PhD program. Wow. Um, I wonder if he knew Neil Bear. Uh, okay. So then Paul started therapy with Dr. Bean Bayog in 1986. He was the son of Mexican immigrants and he really became lonely and depressed on campus. You know, Harvard, pretty white, pretty not that. So I'm sure it can feel isolating. Um, so he sought help from this distinguished psychiatrist on the Harvard clinical staff. Um, and he just had a downward spiral and was repeatedly hospitalized. So up until this therapist, 
chilling. And then as soon as he starts working with her, it is like constant hospitalizations and problems. And then wildly, she had a lot of sexual fantasies that were handwritten in thousands of pages of notes about him. Um, There were tapes, books, gifts exchanged between them. And so there's like 3000 pages of handwritten sexual erotica and fantasies with that. The therapist wrote it's in her handwriting about Paul. They were very sadomasochistic. Um, And then she also gave him flashcards and the cards said really strange things on them. And she made him read them over and over again until he memorized them and like began to believe them. So she was just like, memorize them by your heart and believe these things. And the cards said like, I'm your mom and I love you. You love me very, very much. Um, Stuff like that. So a little bit of brainwashing mommy times. Um, So she said that it is only an example of transference, which is an accepted technique and not creepy. And that it's like just an example of the type of therapy she does. Um, And transference, we talked about it in the episode. It's where the patient asks to imagine the therapist as the patient's mother. Uh, They take the kids back to find out the source of troubling emotions. So Dr. Bean Bayog believed that Mr. Lozano was sexually and physically abused as a child. But the family pediatrician, Thomas Watkins, said that he never saw any signs of child abuse or emotional problems in this child. Child. And same um, with like all the scoop that he got from family, friends, everyone from his life before this doctor said that he was happy, friendly and a well uh, and a well adjusted young man. So he was just probably sad because he was like, yeah, in an environment where he felt out of his depth and it, it like not wasn't necessarily like that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, so even though everyone in his um, like pre-college, pre-grad school life is like he was great. She said that he tried to kill himself twice as a boy, but not one family friend or family member recalls anything of the sort. Weird. And then, okay. So some, I'm going to preface it before I say anything from the site. I got a bunch of information from the greensboro.com. Is it real? Is it not? I don't know. It's just like a collection of articles from North Carolina. And I have no idea of the validity of this website. I wonder why they care about this case in Greensboro, North Carolina. Maybe because of this college, like maybe it had to, maybe they have a psychiatry program. I have no okay. idea, but <laughs> it was one of the websites and um, it says that there are discharge papers issued in the fall of 1986 after Lozano was treated as an inpatient at a hospital in suburban Boston. So that supports the therapist's point of view. So he was like at McLean, which is a psychiatric teaching hospital that's part of Harvard. And so there were discharge papers that he did go and have problems, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So That's that. Um, And obviously there's other professionals who think what she was doing is wrong and that her type of therapy is fucked up and not good. So this isn't like a fully accepted form of therapy, even though she says it is. And she does deny any sexual involvement with Mr. Lozano. He says that she masturbated in front of him and slept with him. So I don't know. Um, So he killed himself with a large overdose of cocaine in April of 1991 after she stopped treating him when he was 28 years old. His family found his body on April 2nd, 1991, and he showered 
and sprayed himself with Calvin Klein cologne. Um, he was sitting at his desk with his medical books open and he injected himself with a lethal dose of cocaine. Oh, okay. So he injected it. Cause when you first said cocaine, I was like, that's like a lot of cocaine to like snort to kill yourself. But wow, that's an injection. He obviously knew what he was doing. And he used an anesthetic before injecting himself. Um, And a Boston area social worker said, basically, this wasn't like a drug addict who like went back to doing tons of drugs and then overdosed accidentally. This was someone that was injecting himself to die. So he was um, doing the cocaine just to kill himself. He was not a recreational drug user. And this was there's no way that this was some sort of accident because of his lifestyle. Um, He chose this as the way to kill himself. So the therapist tried to say that um, he did do drugs and it wasn't a suicide and the, all his friends were like, no, you're a fucking liar. So there were journals found um, with him, like in his apartment, that the therapist claimed were stolen from her office and that they were private dream fantasies about Paul and not like a diary. It's not like a journal of what happened, but it was just sexual dreams and fantasies she was having about him, which doesn't seem good either you know if if you have that book then you probably should be like recusing yourself right like if you're finding yourself doodling about fucking your patient you should probably be like gotta go well but that's the thing she did and then he killed himself so it's just tough but she felt like she was being scapegoated um, the case attracted a ton of national attention and there's like a division of administrative law appeals and they're an independent state agency. Um, and they went on record to say that they received so many requests for press credentials. They had to move the hearings to a state house auditorium that had a 600 seat capacity. So people really wanted to see what was happening. The medical board in regards to the suicide say that her failure to conform to the standards of accepted medical practice caused harm. She offered to resign her medical license on September 19th, 1992. She did this four days before the state board of registrations were meeting to present evidence against her that could have led to the loss of her license. So she kind of like Rick got out of there before she could have gotten kicked out. It's a very I quit. You can't fire yeah, the moment. Beat him to the punch. Um, she still believes that even though her methods were unorthodox, she really thought it would help him. And she was quoted saying this, which I think is weird. In co- she said, I thought that it would keep him quiet and alive. But it's like, why do you need to keep someone quiet? Yeah, that's uh, that's like a that's <laughs> that's a very strange thing for someone that's like committed to your well-being and thriving in life to say that my goal was to keep you quiet and alive like that. I don't, that is a ding, ding, ding for me. That's a red flag. Um, that's a weird thing to say. Could it have been taken out of context? Sure. But the, your goal should never be to keep someone quiet. Right. So Paul Lozano's family filed a lawsuit against the doctor charging her with malpractice and wrongful death. Um, Andrew Meyer Jr. is a Boston attorney who handled this lawsuit, and he said it ended in a $1 million settlement, and Paul's sister confirmed that amount. So in the civil case, they got a $1 million. 
Um, according to the Boston law firm, they put out a statement for their clients, but it seems like just press. So I don't know. I don't know. But the law firm said that the Lozano family felt like justice was served with her having to resign her license and the money settlement, even though there was never an admission of guilt. So hopefully that is true. And the family does find peace in that. Um, and hopefully it's not just this law firm trying to get quotes for their website. The only statement she's ever made. But it was from Greensboro.com. I don't know. Uh, I just looked it up. Very real newspaper. Very real. For the area of Greensboro, North Carolina. It's not the the Charlotte Observer is bigger for North Carolina, but it is a very legit newspaper. I just wonder if she's from there or he's from there or something. Like, why would they give a shit? But anyway, go on. Well, I'm glad it's real. And maybe they need to invest in a new... um, internet maker or website designer because (laughs) the design is out of control. Um, I kept trying to Google, like, is this real? Is this new? (laughs) Like, like New York times, that's a paper, you know, the, the, whatever this is greensboro.com means nothing. Put a paper, a ledger, something at the edge of it, but I'm glad it's legit. So basically she's only gone on record to have one statement about this case. And she said, it is unfortunate and tragic that Mr. Lozano took an accidental cocaine overdose. So what, what a bitch, you know, like everyone keeps saying, no, it's not accidental. He killed himself and she just refuses. So that's the only statement that we have from her. Um, she said that she was abandoned by her Harvard colleagues when the scandal broke. And it's like, yeah, duh. Um, she said, I deserved a phone call firing that I was fired with a letter is rude. I deserve respect. Like she seems like a narcissist. This really isn't about you. You got fired. No one likes you because a person's dead and you're a fucking freak with sex journals and dreams about your client. Like patient. I keep saying client, but it's patient. Yeah. She did keep seeing patients, though, because of a loophole in state law. So she could coach. So that's the whole thing with like therapy and psychiatry and all this. It's like you can still go on coaching or counseling. Or if you change your title from psychiatrist to psychotherapist, you can keep working. Yeah. So she just can't prescribe medication, but she can still do all the same like stuff she was doing. Yeah. So it's like dangerous and people like this can keep on working because Ugh. I mean, my therapist isn't like a MD, PhD person. Right. No, mine is usually uh, so, uh, like an LCSW or something. Yeah. So you can go be a social worker case where like you can keep working with patients, which I think is pretty messed up. Um, And then there's a psychologist named Kenneth Pope, and he wrote a book about therapist patient sex stuff. And he estimates that seven to 12 percent of male therapists have sex with their patients compared to two point five to three percent of female therapists. So this was very rare. And she does go on to be like, if I was a man, none none of this would happen. This is sexism. So. That's her. Um, And these cases are extra hard um, on top of all the loss and gray matter of it all. But these cases are extra hard because the defendants are like usually super educated and the accusers usually have a history of psychiatric problems. So it just goes to the biases of like that we have inside of ourselves of who we trust and who's valuable and not. And so a lot of times these cases are hard to get through. And so that is um, what mother is based on. Yeah. And these are people that can 
abuse the system if they choose. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Very educated. Wow. And then also, I don't know. Have you seen the movie Mother with um, Debbie Reynolds? No. I thought you were going to say the Jennifer Lawrence one. No, I haven't seen no. the Debbie Reynolds. This came out in 1996 with like Steve Gutenberg or something. Not Steve Gutenberg. Who's the other one? Al Mel Brooks. Not Mel Brooks' son. Is it Al Brooks? Albert Brooks. Yeah. Who's, yeah, it's Albert Brooks. He directed it. He was in it. And I remember seeing it in the movie theater and I have like a vivid memory of Orange Sherbert. Like, I don't remember the plot or anything, but I remember Orange Sherbert. I remember seeing that movie on cable, I think, maybe now that you're bringing it up, but I could not tell you a thing about it. Yeah, neither can I, except the Sherbert moment. There was a Sherbert moment, but it was just a a movie I saw alone in the movie theater as a child while my parents were in a different theater. (laughs) Wait, they would do that? Oh, yeah. Just send you to a kid movie and they go to the other one? I wouldn't have to be a kid movie. I um I talk about this sometimes in my acts, but like basically my parents didn't care about any sort of ratings that didn't occur to them as foreign people. And we went to the cheap movie theater, a dollar fifty a ticket. And it was like older run movies, but we went every single week. And they took me to the most horrific movies. And then finally the movie theaters told my parents I could not see dead man walking. They go, we've had enough of you and your family. Like you're not taking her to dead man walking. Cause I had seen casino in the movie theater with that. I mean, I was seeing wild move. Anything that came out from speed was my first movie in the movie theater was speed as a child first grade, you know, like, and so my whole life up until high wow. school, like I didn't go to school dances. We went to the movies every week and then we would go to Dominic's and buy groceries. But anyways, So the theater wouldn't let them take me to dead man walking. And so then I would sit in the lobby and help rip tickets. So my parents would go to a movie and the movie theater would decide if it was appropriate or not for me. And if it wasn't, I would sit with this old man and I would sit with him and I'd rip tickets. This is so fucking funny. (laughs) Oh my God. The movie theater was just babysitting you. Yeah. I mean, well, I was doing work. I mean, that's true. You were paying you were paying your way. <laughs> I was that paying my is way. so bonkers. And I love that so much. And I love that the met that the movie theater is like, OK, we draw the line at the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. And so then it started where like we would go and then we would just see separate movies. So mother was one of them. I saw that rocket. Was it rocket man? Um, uh, wait, I the s- rocketeer. No, it was space. It was that Paul, you know, the actor, he's a comedian. What is this comedian's fucking name? He's like a weirdo. I was the only one in the movie theater. I remember that one. (laughs) But I saw tons of movies like alone while my parents saw other movies. So it wasn't even like child movie, adult movie. It was like if we just had different interests. Wow. We would separate. Wow. We just didn't go to the movie that much as a family. I remember us all going to see Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, but I don't have many other memories of family movies besides that. I would take my brothers to go see movies. I would take like all the kids to go see movies. Yeah, I was right. It was called Rocket Man. It came out oh, in 1997 and it was with Harlan Williams. Who's that? You know him. Oh, you know him. Well, I, when you said Rocket Man, I only thought of the recent Rocket Man with um. About, well, yes, and that yeah. made me question myself. But I was well. Correct. Then I was thinking Rocketeer because that's like a movie from that time, like when you were young, like when we were young. So I was thinking maybe that was it. But I didn't mean to. No, I've you. actually never heard of Rocketeer in my life. I think isn't Jennifer Connelly in that? Anyway, this is amazing. I love a. I love you as just a tiny child going to see whatever movie by yourself that's really that's really 
a great, I'm having a great visual of it right now. Yeah. Good to know. I miss all my uh, movie theater friends. I wish I know they're probably all dead. They were very elderly. Does that theater still exist? You have to go back there. No, it's a shoe carnival. Oh, yeah. Maybe you can like um, you can like separate peds or something and get into the old spirit of <laughs> yeah working at your childhood, your child labor days. <laughs> um. All right. Should we get to our interview? Yes. <laughs> All right. We're really excited for our guest today. He has been in so many classic movies that have been part of our lives, like Scary Movie, Meet the Parents, Kids, Prime, House of Wax. But you guys know him from today's episode as Robert Logan. No relation to me and my husband. Please check out our chat with actor John Abrahams. Well, we're obviously going to talk about SVU, your great performance, classic episode, but I have to start. Prime is one of my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) I've seen it so many times. I like tried quail eggs because of that movie, but (laughs) so I have to ask, how was it like throwing pies in people's faces? Was that a fun part? And (laughs) it's a a normal occurrence for me. No, uh, (laughs) it was, uh, it was amazing. It was awesome. And I think, uh, uh, when I get pied at the end, I think we use like a a real whipped cream pie. Usually in movies, they they do shaving cream. Okay. But uh, we use a real whipped cream pie and like it sort of killed pie for me for, <laughs> and whipped cream for a long time. Because like I could, I had like the ghost smell of whipped cream in my nose for, you know, months. I just can't believe shaving cream is better than a whipped cream. Because it's not sticky, I think. Got it. It's not sticky. It's easier to clean off, you know? <laughs> like, it it just comes right so off. Smart, so smart, Kara. Well, speaking of <laughs> sticky, you Who's obviously had... Well, maybe this is a good connection. You had a lot of blood. You had, like, an amazing scene in Mother. We in meet, this SVU episode. Yes. Yeah. We meet you on a stretcher with blood, throat. Yep. How was that for your entrance and that scene? <laughs> with the detectives and your bloody neck? Well, it's so funny because I'm sure other guests have told you, like, it's a very kind of like rocket fast pace that they shoot at. And so I don't remember if that was like my first day, but I remember like, it was like, okay, come here, like get on the stretcher, here's some blood, you know, whatever. And there's Ice-T like leaving from shooting another scene and, you know, whatever. And I was like, whoa, okay, cool. Um, (laughs) I was like super psyched to see Ice-T. I, I don't think I have any scenes with him. So like he wasn't around very much. It was like, you know, maybe that day I saw him like in the makeup chair and then I saw him like, you know, going home after finishing or something. Yeah. Taking his mic off. Uh, you So you didn't have a lot of scenes with Ice, but you had a lot of scenes with B.D. Wong, who we've talked to on the podcast. We love him. Well, how was that? I mean, he's so great. I mean, you can tell us if you feel differently, but. <laughs> no, it it was awesome. And like, I was super starstruck by BD Wong. Like I grew up, you know, seeing him in all kinds of things and like loved him. And so it was kind of an odd experience. Like all of a sudden, like here I am working very intimately and very close with BD Wong. And like, you know, I had a couple moments where I was like, God, like life is just so weird. Yeah. You know? <laughs> here's, here's this dude. And like five minutes ago, I knew him from all these movies. And now I'm like, crying and weeping in his lap. Yeah. It's like surreal. Well, and a lot of our guests tell us that booking SVU felt like a rite of passage or like a big deal in their life. Um, It definitely is. I 
so I'm from New York city and, uh, I, I grew up there and I started acting from New York city, uh, and then moved out to Los Angeles when I was about 25. And so in like 98 or 99, I think 98, I did an episode of regular law and order, which like at the time, yeah, that was a rite of passage. Like if you're a New York actor, you've got to be on law and orders. So I had done that one and that was a totally messed up episode. <laughs> my character, <laughs> my character's name in that episode was Roscoe Johnson. And I was like, I was like, uh, you know, you sure, you sure I'm the guy for Roscoe Johnson. Um, <laughs> such a, like definitely writer's room. They were like, we need a name quick Roscoe Johnson, you know? So had you had already moved to LA and then came back for SVU or I was, yeah, it was early. I was like, I think that episode was, I want to say 2004 or three or yeah. maybe five. Um, and, uh, I was living in LA and what happened is, um, Neil bear, I had done a pilot for Neil bear, um, years before, like in 96 or seven, uh, for a show called outreach that was about, um, an outreach building on on the Venice boardwalk. And it was like all the people that work at the outreach. And I met Neil Bear there. And then, uh, he just must've liked me. I mean, he's a lovely guy. He's super smart and very interesting. We've had him on our podcast twice. We love we him. Can't get oh, awesome. <laughs> Making a lot of dreams come true for a lot of people. I'm glad you're one of them. But, uh, but yeah, he's a genius and super rad. And he, he called me up and was like, Hey, I, you know, I always liked you from outreach and, uh, wonder if you'd be interested in playing this role in this episode of SBU. And, you know, it's, it's sort of intense and there's this whole thing. And I was like, of course, like, yes, I would love to. So, so, so how, how did you go about your portrayal of this character? Cause it really, we were talking about it. Like it felt really, you know, you could have gone full Looney Tunes with it, but you really, it was a little bit more grounded and understated. Like it made it so that you really made it so that we didn't know whether this woman had actually done something like untoward towards you or whether it was, um, you know, part of the therapy because you definitely had, you know, your character had psychological issues, but, um, we just yeah. felt like you played it really grounded and understated. And we were wondering like, you know, what was the key to that? Like, how did you get psyched up to do that? <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, my approach is always to make it real for me, you know, right. like I have to, you know, I have to make it real for me. And I have to do that by kind of like going back through my life and being like, okay, where can I place whatever person to this and make it, you know, have some sort of sense of memory or memory from that situation that might lead me to being real in these moments. Um, I forgot that I flip out in court. So awesome. It's one of the best scenes. I remember Neil being like, yeah, I want you to do it. And, and sort of like loosely explaining the plot and then like them setting the script. And I remember being like, Oh, <laughs> like, Whoa, this isn't like a walk in the park at all. Like this is like, you know, I remember being sort of, uh, uh, I don't want to say nervous. I was like a bit like overwhelmed by it. You know, I was like, okay, this is, uh, this is a lot of work and it's intense. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't tell you, you played it, you played it like as cool as you could as a person going through significant mental issues. Yeah. 
you know what the thing is is that like i feel like the success of a show like that or even the other law and orders they are grounded they're not so cartoony Mm -hmm. you know they're not um comic book court dramas so i guess that's my approach always is like you know unless it's called for don't go the cartoony route and you know keep it real yeah so obviously it is very serious subject matter you're in it you do think it's real but like when you're talking about like suckling on a breast and stuff was it hard not to laugh (laughs) (laughs) yes because you're nervous and because like (laughs) when i'm nervous like in those situations it's hard not to laugh but like it's very serious when you do those things. Like I don't remember, you know, it wasn't a very jokey tone ever. You know, I don't feel like any of the cast members, the regular cast members or anybody around is like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, Oh, you, you know, um, you have to take it seriously. Like you have to, otherwise you're in trouble. And I feel like, you know, there's like, if I remember, there's an amazing amount of like technical concern on shows like that. And I think that's part of what makes them great, you know, and Neil, right. has like a medical background and, and all that stuff. Um, and he's like a world renowned doctor before he wrote, right. I think he was the consultant on ER. Yeah. Um, but like, even on the, you know, the directing and the, the photography and all that stuff, like, I feel like my memory is that everybody's very focused in their own little technical worlds, and so I don't remember a lot of like time for joking around and right. laughing, you know, um, even to break the ice. It's like in that, in that, in the, in the context of that episode, you don't really want to joke around and break the ice, you know, like that could take you too far out of it or lead to being cartoony or something, you know? It's also interesting. You brought up the technical stuff. Cause outside the medical, the scene with you and BD Wong, like camera wise is very technical. They're doing so much circling. Do you remember what it was like to shoot that? Yes. I totally remember that. Like, you know, we, again, right. Like when you're shooting on location on law and order, it's very fast paced because it's New York city. And it's like, these people don't want them on the block too long. They're like, film, film your stupid show and get off my block, Uh you know? So, um, but that was on their stages in New Jersey, I think. And, uh, I remember like spending, more time blocking that scene than you do normally on a scene on any television show. You know, a lot of times it's like it's pre-lit and it's ready to go and this and that. But um, yeah, I remember it sort of, it felt very stage play-ish yeah. when we got to that scene, you know, it feels very much like a play and maybe that's credit due to BD Wong as well, you know, cause he's an amazing theater actor. So had you watched the show at all before you were on it? Like, had you been? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. I, I love Chris Maloney. Like love okay, Chris great. Maloney. Uh, yeah. Like there's nobody better than Chris Maloney. I was going to so, ask, uh, are you more of a Stabler or a Benson person? But you went, you did it before. I love both of them. Actually, I love <laughs> were both of them. Were you an Oz person? Like, yeah. Is that where your Maloney respect That's where my from? Maloney started. But I used to see him at auditions in New York back then, like in the nineties, you know, I started acting in 95 like that. So, um, I used to see him at auditions all the time. Like I remember seeing him at the audition for American history X. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, he was so in the zone in the waiting room 
like I, I was like, who is this guy? Like, he's so real. And like, did they just pull this guy? Like he was just so in the zone. He was like tying his shoelaces all aggressively. And like, I was like, Oh, this guy's so interesting. <laughs> Uh, and so, and then I was like, oh, there's that guy, like, you know, on Oz and there's that guy on SVU and, um, yeah. Scary movie, pivotal moment in culture, I feel. Um, uh, for sure. That changed everything. I remember seeing it with my friend's dad in junior high. We were so embarrassed that he was with us, but for a while, were you known as like the guy that like jizzed a woman into the air or I'm still known. I'm still, 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 still. Still get that all the time, actually. I'm not kidding. Um, people approach you all I, the time about it on the streets. When people approach me, I would say like a third of the time it's it's that, right? <laughs> like it's that. Um, it's but they're like, oh, scary movie. And then they look at me like, eh, you know, and then occasionally I get people that are like, was that real? <laughs> and I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe just don't, you know. Maybe not, dude. <laughs> I lived in Brooklyn at the time when Scary Movie came out. And um, I would walk down the street and like every day people would, Bobby, oh my God, yo, Bobby, Bobby, you live in the neighborhood? Oh my God, you know, like all the time. Like, so, and I loved it. I mean, I still love it. I, you know, it's, it's, I'm so proud of that movie, which just turned 21. Wow. That's awesome. This week. So I want to ask you about the movie Kids. Was that your first thing? Because that you said you started in 95. I feel like the whole cast of Kids almost was like newly discovered. Because I remember I grew up in Connecticut and Chloe Sevigny was discovered. She's from the town next to mine. And we were all like, oh, my God. And we wanted to rent that movie. And it was like illegal at all of our video stores because it was so gritty. So I'm dying to hear about your experience on that. Um, yeah. So it was like the first thing I was ever in. and. Uh, everybody in the film, nobody was an actor. Um, that was by design, right? They didn't want actors. And, um, you know, it's, it's about a lot of those people who, some of them are playing themselves in the movie. Um, albeit with a very, you know, well-rounded narrative device, um, which isn't true to the real life people, but yeah. And so, I just, you know, I grew up downtown New York City and I used to like hang out in Washington Square Park and they just like kind of would walk around the park and be like, do you want to audition for this movie? And, you know, went to open casting calls and like with my best friend and we were like, yeah, okay, well, you know, <laughs> sure, why not? And like, you know, um, and uh, and then sure enough, they like, you know, they cast me and and uh, it was crazy. And I I still didn't want to be an actor. I wasn't like. I, I was in visual arts and like, that's what I thought I was going to go to college for and all that stuff. Um, I did not want to be a professional actor. It just wasn't the direction I was going to well, take. What was and the then, switch? Uh, the switch was a couple things. The switch was, I, I took an improv class in high school and that really like opened the doors for me. So I was into it. Creatively, I was into acting. I just, it wasn't the life path I, I thought I wanted for myself. You know, I didn't want to do that. Then after kids came out in 95, uh, I got an agent, like an agent called me and was like, Hey, I saw you in this movie. You know, do you want to try this out? And I was like, no. And I hung up on him and then he <laughs> called me back. He called me back and was like, no, 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 I'm a real person. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a sleaze bag. Like I'm serious. And, 
I was like, all right, well, I'll try. Sure. And then, uh, I got dead man walking. I was in dead man walking. I played Sean Penn's brother. And, uh, that was just like a crazy, amazing experience for me. And I was like, oh, well, you know, this door is opening for me and I really do love movies. I always wanted to work on movies that just maybe not as an actor. And so I was like, I should follow this through. And there you go. And then I was off and running. Well, disclaimer to our listeners, it doesn't always work out that way. So if someone yeah. approaches you in Washington Square Park, just, you know, use your judgment. Um, <laughs> well, so we were um, obviously, you know, stalking your IMDb before we came to talk to you. And uh, we wanted to know about Clover, which is a, a movie you starred in and directed. Correct. What's yeah. the story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's it all about? Where can people see it? Uh, well, I think you can see it on Amazon now. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, and uh, it's my second directorial feature. So I've 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 trademarked Crimity. It's a Crimity. <laughs> have you trademarked it? I have trademarked that. Wow, cool. You really did? No, I really I don't know. No, oh, I don't, well, I'm a I'm a Shark Tank person, so I was like, oh, this is great, good for you. But I'm in the process of it. How about that? Um, so yeah, Crimity, trademark, copyright 2020. And I'm noticing that both of your movies star Erica Christensen. We're talking, We're talking to her, her in two hours. hours. No, you're not. She, yeah. yeah, she's in season nine. She's in a she's a fucked up FBI agent who ends up killing herself in front of Benson. <laughs> oh my god, that's so that's like my that's like my sister. Oh, that's really? Like, oh wow. Yeah, it's like my sister. What a funny coincidence. Um, yeah, Erica's Erica's the homie for life. Oh, amazing. I love her. Did you guys um, meet yeah, just so, working on stuff or auditions or I think we just met like in the early 2000s, like around like we had the same circle of friends, and you know, we just became friends and I have a very tight knit group of friends and we all, I try to work with as many of my friends as I can, mm. certainly when I'm directing movies. Um, well, didn't the same guy write the two movies you directed or no? That's correct. That's like, and that's one of my best friends and, you know, very, very talented guy, Michael Testone. So yeah. So he, you know, he wrote the first two and, uh, and yeah, and it's, it's great. There's a lot of great actors in it. You got Ron Perlman, Chaz Palminteri, uh, Jessica Zor. Yeah. Tashina Arnold, um, I could keep going. Mark Weber, Nicole Elizabeth Berger. I mean, there's it's a great cast. It's a big, great cast. Um, Do you like directing? Brian Goodman. I love it. I love it very much, and uh, it's more encompassing of my sort of creative interests than just acting alone. So I like it for that reason. Yeah. That was so fun. He was fun to talk to. Also, I can't believe that Dead Man Walking got two shout outs this episode. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, and that best friend that he knew Erica and they yeah. were like loving each other. No, it's they're like, like cool. for real, for real friends. Yeah. Because yeah. you never know in this, you know, everyone's like, oh, I know this person. Yeah. And... Everyone's friends in Hollywood, baby. Oh, that's actually another thing for my birthday. We went up to the roof of the hotel to have some drinks and the desk people have to let you up into the special elevator and they go, oh, are you here for the comedy show? And there was a comedy show on the roof. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you know anyone? Well, a guy was acting extra familiar, but then kept calling me Liza. So oh, it was very God. funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, but that was uh, a very, very thrilling interview and a very um, fucked up case. And crime. Yeah. And she didn't seem apologetic in any way. And yeah, I don't know. 
And um, I think what we've learned is that I'm not positive that having sex with your therapist is illegal. No, I'm just kidding. It should be illegal. It should be illegal. I was just curious. Um, I think we learned that. Yeah. If you feel like you're having some sexual feelings towards your therapist or anything, that's I think that's OK. Just get a new therapist. Yeah, because you're not going to be fully honest yeah. with them. And yeah. Like, tell them what's up. It's kind right. of when Charlotte and Sex in the City gets um, an ugly Divorce, divorce attorney because yeah. she wanted to get and then you know they got married yeah but it was very cute is there sex in the city news um no, no. they're just working yeah they're just working i didn't help but no and <laughs> and all at once what was it called just like just that. like that <laughs> just like that just like that just like i'm wondering who we're gonna know of like New York actor friends that are going to get little pop up parts. I mean, usually I keep jealousy in check, but that may be tough for me. <laughs> that might be tough. If I see some dumb yeah. bitch that I don't like in there, I might, I won't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I won't do anything at all. <laughs> I'll be happy everyone's working. Um, oh, I went, yeah. I keep thinking of things I did. No. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I guess just like, I saw Kat Cohen's show this past weekend and she's a great performer. But oh, I'm like, yeah, if she's she in the is. Sex in the City show, I'll kill her. It's completely possible that she will be. <laughs> oh, she will be. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, world. like, I think I'll, our only postmortem, what we've learned from this episode is, yeah, like, uh, oh, don't, I mean, this go, we can't go into the full Texas abortion ban shit, but like, don't shame your fucking daughter for getting pregnant and rip her child away and raise him as your own and try to cut his dick off with a piece of string. What the fuck? I know these anti-abortion bullshit things that are happening. It's like so I just saw a post that was like, God gave up his son. I think he's OK with abortion. <laughs> but the the hoops they go to where it's like God wouldn't want this unborn baby something killed. But if someone rapes you, you have to give birth to the th it just makes no sense. Yeah. Like that yeah. your God is wanting children to get. I don't get no, it. No. And your God wants children like in their own filth at the border and and being mistreated there. Like it's just like, yeah, no one cares about these children once they're born. Just and and to the anti what's pissing me off the most is people equating masks usage to forced labor and pregnancy. It's yeah. like these are different. Completely a mask at a different. grocery store is a lot chiller. You can't get pregnant from somebody sneezing near you. Like, yeah, you know, it's just it's a totally different fucking thing. It's like this is a public health. Like, let's all work together, not invading someone's bodily autonomy. But maybe anyway. she wanted to. I, yeah. Don't abuse the grandkid and kick your daughter out. Don't be a bad parent. Why have kids if you're yeah. going to be a bad parent? I but don't get if it. you listen to our podcast and you don't follow us on Instagram, please go check out our Instagram because we did post like, uh, I believe, 15 different abortion uh, pro abortion funds that you can donate to in Texas and help those people. And then you said that Instagram fucking took it down. They took down their original posts because I had shared it in stories and I was like, oh, OK, now I'm going to put it in the grid, bitches. And I just what is what is Instagram doing that they're taking know. it off? Yeah, that's why that's like a super crazy. And then it popped back up like they wrote me about it and we're like they, they wrote about it and we're like, this is fucked up. And they were like, thank you for supporting us. So I like well, because that. that's the whole shadow ban Count. thing where and can't, like people, the people that harp the most about like cancel culture, actually, people are being shadow banned and hidden constantly. That yeah, are like uh, not. And you guys don't care about that cancel. Yeah, you just like, I don't yeah, know. exactly.
Because well, it happens to a lot of sex workers and people that talk about race. Yes, you're right. A They're lot of the sex like, work fuck. conversations get shadow banned. But even our girl Carly, you know, she draws naked women sometimes. Yeah. And she'll like, I legit have to sometimes go look for her stuff because it keeps high. Like I have to be like, oh, fuck, they really are hiding yeah, your yeah, shit. Yeah. Like I go out of my way to go like a bunch Engage of stuff. Engage with her save. page so that, yeah, so lame. You got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But back to this episode. Well, oh, I didn't know that. Um, what is it? H Highway. There was like a term for heroin that I didn't know. Oh, like shooting, range, shooting, shooting, shooting gallery, shooting gallery. <laughs> that sounds like art. Like I didn't get it. Yeah. I didn't, so I like learned photography. That. <laughs> shooting gallery H. That yeah, all means a lot heroin. of heroin uh, under over. But who does those boys look so casual? Who casually does heroin on a whim like that? Like, oh, we're in New York. Let's do. Let's heroin. go find some heroin. Yeah. Heroin and where is, were they going to go back to the double tree in Times Square to shoot up some heroin? It's kind of anyway, nobody do heroin or cocaine right now until we get this fentanyl so situation under sad. control. That's another fucking not even a postmortem, just a public. I'm not judging anybody's drug use or party habits, but just until get those test strips where you can test so it sad. or it's just really sad. There's been. That actor from The Wire, Omar from The Wire, Michael K. Williams is his name. Yeah. And then we know some comedian. I mean, we don't, I don't know them, but we know of these comedians who one's in the hospital. passed away and one's in the hospital. It's really fucked. And, you know, the fentanyl, I don't know exactly what it is. I'll tell you what, what it is. What is it? It's, I took it. I took, they gave it to me for Rosie when I was giving birth and it was great. It, it, when you're using, when it's being measured out by a doctor, it feels amazing because it's like a, it's for medicinal, it's for like, um, an, antiseptic, anesthetic, like whatever uses like to, so I wasn't feeling the pain of my contractions basically. But if it's in these drugs, like laced and stuff, one, one line can kill you. But what, who's putting it in That's there? what I want to know. I'm like, if I'm a drug dealer, do I want word on the street being my clients are all dying? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. People are saying, oh, cause it'll like, if you have cheap, if you have cheap product, it'll make the high better and stuff. But if it's, it's not worth it, if it's killing people, you know what I mean? Like you can't measure it out the right way. Yeah. And the, another drug thing is like that family, they won some lawsuit that they can never be charged with any opioid deaths ever oh, again. Oh, the fucking, uh, the Purdue Pharma people. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I watched that on John Oliver. Yeah. It's just too much. It's too much. Yeah. Like thinking about, I was trying to avoid stuff because at a certain point it's just like, fuck. But I did read that the drug dealers who supplied Mac Miller with the drugs that killed him, they were prosecuted. So, and I have a friend actually who just told me that her cousin just died of a, of an opioid over like or of a uh, overdose this summer. And her parents, his parents were like, one of them was like, we're going to find the guys. We're going to find the guys. And the, the mom was like, what is it? It's not going to bring him back. Like, you know, it's just so fucking tragic. It is, you know? Anyway, let's get to what would Sister Peg do? Because that makes me feel like at least we can help people a little bit. Um, this week's uh, What Would Sister Peg Do? Which is our weekly segment where we give you guys a link or point you in the direction of some more information or an organization that can help you with uh, learn more about the topic that we talked about today. And since today we spoke a little bit about therapy and some of the, you know, the sketchy areas of therapy. We wanted to highlight the therapy exploitation link line, which is www.therapyabuse.org. And uh, the 
acronym is T-E-L-L. So TELL is a peer support network that seeks to help victims and survivors of exploitation by psychotherapists and other healthcare providers find the resources they need to understand what's happened to them and to heal. So if you know anyone or you are someone who feels like you've been exploited or abused by your therapist, please check out therapyabuse.org. And uh, their website has a ton of information like resources, networking, professional support. And thank you for that, Kara. You're welcome. And next week's episode will be The Book of Esther, season 19, episode 20. Several people have asked for this baby. So here we are with the with the goods. I'm very happy. And, you know, watch it on Hulu, Peacock, spend some cash somewhere, <laughs> go to the library. So, a lot of options. A lot yeah. of options. Oh, I was staying at a friend's house and... <laughs> No, this was so weird. The Hulu, it was on autoplay, but it would play what anything else. So I was watching Drag Race, obviously, and it would just play This Is Us. Or like it just decides whatever it wants yeah. will come on next. It wasn't the next episode That's of the show so you watched. Annoying. It's crazy. I don't know how they do it. Yeah. They want you to get sucked into a different show. They're like, you might like melodrama. Here's This Is Us. Honestly, what I can't wait for is Joel Kim Booster's Fire, Fire Island, Island movie, movie on uh, Hulu. I can't looks wait. so good. I'm like, can you guys get I'm off like, the island and so edit? Good. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I need it. I know. He's like partying in his stories. I'm like, this looks so good. Truly, every time I've watched his stories, every summer of him in Fire Island, I've been like, I want to be there. So now I'm going to be there when I watch the movie. It's great. And they, he posted a photo and it was with Margaret Cho and they were all at the beach and she is more tatted than I knew. Oh, yes. She's all sleeved up. I didn't know that. Well, I knew, but I didn't know her whole stomach was covered. Oh, really? Yeah. I was excited. Yeah. Yeah. Go check out Joel Kim Booster's Instagram if you want to see Margaret Sink. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for being here for this chaotic energy. I hope you enjoyed the app. Um, and we appreciate you more than you know. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>